American United strives to serve those who serve. Ask them about their VA home loans, which offer up to 100% financing, often with no down payment required. Make an appointment to research your options. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Myland Advisors. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got part two of our episode with eGala. I think that's one of the neat things, again, about working with the horses is these horses, they don't care what you say so much. They don't, they really care how you show up and what your presence is. And like I said, because they're all different, they're going to require different approaches. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Lynn, we were talking in our last episode about equine therapy and and how this is not just riding around on horses. This is real mental health work. Um, And we talked about the value of, of creating a standard and how that's helped you guys expand to 50 countries around the world and these kind of things. Um, what I'd love to start with on here on part two of the episode is, um, you know, we, we ask all our guests who come on for advice for our charity, for child rescue, and, and you guys are successful 501c3. Um, when you think about everything you've learned attracting people to Egala, what kind of advice would you have for us in trying to get more people involved in protecting children from trafficking and, and uh, attracting people to child rescue? Um, yeah, I think that the way we've gotten people attracted to us is some of what I was sharing earlier is just the idea that it's something different. Um, I think even like, for instance, working with organizational groups who do a lot of trainings and things to work on themselves and, and develop their teams. Uh, some of it's, uh, um, I think sometimes something novel and different is appealing and then when people experience it and say, wow, this really helps more than we realized. So being able to then have um, results and, and share and experience those results have been really helpful to, to get people more um, interested and, and bought into it. Um, 
you know, I think, I, I mean, child trafficking, gosh, that's like such a, a, a an emotional and dramatic and challenging and heartbreaking scenario. I, I just, in situation that's happening in our world, it's just beyond um, fathoming sometimes that that can even be happening. And so I think even knowing that there are ways that are, um, novel ways that are being of ways of approaching it to solve to solve it is really i think i guess perks perks my ears at least you know yeah. besides i already be perked about it because it's something that i actually feel very strongly about as well to to do something about in our world no it's a good point i mean we've been lucky enough um a number of the folks who uh we work with at our consulting firm um our senior advisors you know our former fbi agents or former members of the classified units from the special operations command, stuff like this. And there are absolutely like unique training experiences or things that we could be doing that uh, would differentiate that wouldn't sound like your average fundraiser, your average, you know, awareness event. And um, maybe we should be doubling down on those. Um, Well, thinking about the work that you've done specifically changing people's lives, helping people make new conclusions about where they're going to go. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts for like corporate managers out there, um, or people who are trying to innovate at their own company. Let's do two things. Let's one, let's talk about if they were to come to you and, and they did a session with you guys, what that would look like. And then secondly, I want to just talk about, you know, deeper things of human nature. You feel like you've discovered in, in your career doing this work. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the key things about what we do in our model is what we call the solution-oriented standard. And basically that's saying that we believe our clients have the best solutions for themselves when given the opportunity to discover them. And a lot of our training program is really a lot of what we call untraining people from always putting our meaning, our solutions, our time frames on, on uh, what we think people should be doing or what they need. And so with our clients, I mean, no matter the age, no matter what's going on in their life, we truly, truly believe that they have the strengths and resources within themselves to discover where to take things and what to do to, to solve those issues. Um, and I, I, I think that just having that belief system in general is really powerful of, of really recognizing the, re- the resilience and the abilities that people have to come up with solutions. Um you know, what that means, even as, you know, a typical therapist client in an office many times is more of this expert. The therapist is the expert. Um, but with what we do, that's not at all what our approach is. We are there to facilitate an opportunity for the clients to learn about themselves. And the horses have this amazing way of shifting and moving and doing things that people do learn about themselves through that process. So, um, I think that's one thing, one aspect of it is that belief system and truly having it. It's one thing to say it. It's a different thing to truly apply it. And that's why so much of our training that uh, we call an untraining to is spent on just helping people really peel the layers down of how we're getting in the way of people's own processes. Like what's an example of that? Well, for instance, we'll have uh, say we have a group come out, uh, maybe we'll say an organizational group since we're talking about that. And they're struggling with some things going on in their team. Um, you know, we may then invite them to uh, look at the the herd of horses that are out there as a team, and to start looking at well, what are some things that are showing whether they're a team or not a team, 
and and they start defining then what team even means for each of them and start coming to some different understandings. And it's not just defining it, it's visually seeing it. It's actually looking at the characteristics of those horses that start defining, hey, a team or not a team. And then with, with the deficiencies of whatever that team is, we'll invite them to um, form that horse into the team that they would envision a, a, a high-functioning team to be. And, and so the horses then will do whatever they're going to do. Maybe they'll do things at, you know, the opposite of what the, the, the team, the, the human team wants them to do, or they'll bring out different um, strengths and weaknesses within the team. And they'll be able to say, wait, this isn't working. This is working. The horses are not becoming a team. What's happening so something like that is neat because it's an opportunity for the human team, the organizational team, to not necessarily look at each other and look at themselves, but talk about it through the horses and work on it through the horses. And the horses give them feedback, and it, and it becomes a safer way to address sometimes very um, hard topics to look at or sometimes very abstract topics. It puts it in a very physical, visual place. Um, they can go change those horses. Um, well, they have to use different <laughs> approaches to, to change those horses to become the team that they're hoping that they themselves will become. <laughs> That's funny. You know, when I was 10 years old, I moved from this city of a million to a little farm town of 3,000 people. And uh, my best friend who lived down the street, kid, my first friend, <laughs> he, he owned a horse. So then I got into horses and uh, worked out a deal with a doctor in town who I could work on his farm and I could ride this Arabian as much as I wanted kind of thing, you know. So I spent a lot of those teenage years, especially when I was like, you know, five foot nothing, 75 pounds soaking wet, right, <laughs> trying to get a horse to do what I wanted. And uh, I can see how like just telling them what to do isn't going to get stuff done, which is so much like a real organization. You know, the leader thinks up this great idea. It doesn't exactly just come together as envisioned on the whiteboard, right? Um, it, it, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. And the neat thing about horses, too, is they, people don't always realize they have individual personalities. Every horse is different, just like the people are. And so what works with one horse may not work with another horse, just like just like people. So, for, and in fact, a lot of times the 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 human <laughs> the human clients will start uh, associating themselves about, wow, that horse is just like me. They're a little more stubborn, or they'll they'll give different um, characteristics that they'll say, wow, this horse is just like me. And look how when things are getting a little stormy in the in in the process, you know, I'm just leaving and turning my back to everybody because that's what the horse is doing. Um, and so, and, and the key with all that too, is as facilitators with our model, we are not there telling the team what to think or how to, how to, how to accomplish it because everybody's different and they will discover through the process what's going to help them. And it may, it's usually something that we never even think about. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's actually really fun because the outcomes are always unpredictable. We never know what's going to happen in a session. The horses always are different. Uh, the horses, in fact, will behave one way with one group and behave a completely different way with another group. And so they really do kind of seem to show up in the way that the group or individuals need in the moment. You know, I'm really interested in this thing you talked about, untraining. Um, in, in our work, where we're trying to help managers or leaders take this time to, to kind of like take the manager hat off for a minute and just be a just be a valuable advisor for this, you know, one-on-one -on -one they're having once a month with somebody. 
probably the number one thing that's hard for them to do is stop giving advice. Like it's incredibly hard for them to listen without trying to solve problems and without trying to tell their staff members what to do. Um, and same thing with sales reps. It's like we're, we're trying to help them move from being a salesperson to being a trusted advisor, right? And it's just, um, it's almost like these knee-jerk reactions to just to want to tell people what to do, to give our advice, to show up. And it's like, it's like a new muscle for them to just listen and learn how to uh, ask the kind of questions that lead somebody to realize they already know their own answer. Um, why do you think it's so much work? Why do you think it's so hard for high achieving people or people with fancy degrees or people in leadership? Why is that so hard for us? Well, I, I agree. It's so hard. And you're right about the untraining. I, I think, you know, it's, it's nice to get, we all as humans want what we want and we we live in our world of our perspective and it's hard to to humble ourselves or be open that there are other perspectives that might change our perspective so um i think that's one of the neat things again about working with the horses is these horses they don't care what you say so much they don't they really care how you show up and what your presence is and like i said because they're all different they're going to require different approaches um, and so you really have to kind of look at, um, you, you can't just muscle or, or tell a horse, oh, do this. They could care less and they're bigger than you. So um, it really helps to start looking at ourselves and, and developing that humility, like um, to, to realize that there's a lot of ways to lead and there's, um, we really have to keep changing ourselves and being open to those ways. Um, there's a book, I don't know if you've talked about this before on your show, that I really like that we um, is an approach that I, I think it's effective in even our model, and it's called Humble Inquiry. Um, no, and who's it's it by? Long, have you heard of that one, Jess, before? No, no, but I'm a real book nerd. Who's, who's it by? Oh, gosh. I will have to look up who it's by because I'm forgetting right at okay. the top of my head. I'll, it's called I'll Amazon Humble. it. You tell me about it. Okay, humble inquiry, and it's really right in line with what you're just talking about. That of of leaders putting themselves in that place of really being more curious and and asking questions, and through that, really helping people reach their potential. Because um, you know, it opens up possibilities. I, I think that's what I love about the horses too, because the horses are making their own decisions, and because they're shifting and changing it actually opens up possibilities of new stories that the clients don't always think about. Um, so Edgar Shine, what's Ed, that? Do you think Edgar Shine could be the guy? Yeah, that, yes, yes. I believe that's it. Humble inquiry, the gentle art of asking instead of telling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just put it in my wish list on audible.com. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I'm interested in this because you're right. We all we all want what we want, and what's funny is even when we're there to advise someone else, there's this natural desire for what we want for them, right? Um, do you have any guidance on how to tamp that down in ourselves? On how to how to kind of uh, get a <laughs> rein in? <laughs> use a horse analogy. How to rein in our own agenda so that we can like be more responsive and present and and there with the person we're working with. Well, one of the things that we teach, it's a framework we teach in our training to people, EGALA facilitators. Mm -hmm. and, and it's actually something that we found is useful to teach to organizations as well. And, and it's called SPUDS, okay. the SPUDS framework. <laughs> um, and what that stands for is it's a, it's a framework for observation. So as facilitators, we're watching 
mainly the horses, even not so much the clients, but it, it can apply in all areas of life. Of of it's a style, a way of observing and what we're observing. And the key about those observations is we're not putting our interpretations on it. So the SPUDS framework stands for uh, the S in SPUDS is shifts. We're looking for shifts. So, you know, the horses were on this end and now they're on this end. The horses were moving in circles. Now they're standing still. Um, so we're looking at shifts. We're, um, we're looking at patterns as P. Um, wow, when something happens three or more times then it's a pattern. But again, it's not something that we're interpreting. We're not saying, oh, the, that person got really frustrated three times and that's a pattern. It's not about, it, frustration is an interpretation. Um, if we're feeling someone's being resistant, that's an interpretation. So we're not putting our interpretations on it. A pattern might be, huh, th um, th this person's wearing the same um, color clothes each day. Um, Maybe they are carrying a certain item with them and that you notice, or maybe the way that they are facing, they're facing this direction and there's been a pattern of them facing this direction. So it's keeping it very objective and, and observable behaviors. And then we are in a place of curiosity to explore that. So shifts patterns, you is unique, something that's not normally seen. Uh, the D in spuds is discrepancies, meaning we're comparing our ver verbal to our nonverbal. So, for instance, if someone says, um, I'm scared of horses, but they're walking towards the horses, it's just something we'll explore. Just say, hey, you know, notice saying the scared, notice the nonverbals walking towards, you know, what's what's kind of happening there and just being in that place of curiosity. And the last part of our spuds framework is the apostrophe S. And that's where while we're watching the things around us. The apostrophe S is our own self-awareness of our stuff. What are our reactions? What are our interpretations, our biases? And and always being aware of our own stuff that might be influencing what's happening around us. Um, you know, if somebody's pushing my buttons, for instance, or something, the apostrophe S part is really being aware, wow, this is pushing my buttons. What is that about for me? And being really extra aware about how I, I want to um, handle my interaction with these people, the, the people I'm interacting with, so that it's not getting in the way. Um, so, I, you know, it's something we train and practice quite a bit in our, our framework of model that we do, but it's also been something that, you know, organizations start like, huh, I'm going to look at the shifts. I'm going to look at the patterns without interpretations, just the the objective visual behaviors and be curious then about it. Hey, you know, um, no, notice that, you know, a person's looking down a lot, just curious about the looking down, what's happening. Can Share more about your story. Be curious about other people's story instead of trying to put our stories on them. Um, you know, I can see how becoming good at that would be very helpful in, you know, <laughs> discovering things instead of contaminating them with preconceived notions, right? Yeah, um, right. And I think, you know, coming from the consulting training industry, um, I'm what I'm probably the most fascinated about is how you get people to practice. Um, I think most of us recognize that knowing what to do usually isn't enough to get people to do it. Like, you know, having a session, put, putting the spuds model up on the whiteboard once doesn't doesn't change people's habits, their mental ruts. Um, I'm interested for you guys what that practice looks like. How do you get in meaningful repetitions? How do you help people have the the small wins or that you know like gain some faith in the in the model? How do you? What are your training wheels or how do you get people to internalize it? 
Well, it's it's like you said. It, it yeah, just talking about it doesn't necessarily change behavior, but people experiencing it. That's why I'm a believer in the experiential approach to even providing experiences for people to learn, and why we do what we do with the horses. Um, I, I, and I think what's interesting about what we do in the gala approach with the horses is is it does seem to be longer lasting because they're not only experiencing what it feels like. Um, they have a visual of it through the horses. The horses end up playing out what it looks like. And we have people say, we've had organizational groups say they're still talking five years later about the one day thing they did with the gala. So um, I, I think things that, that, are, um, that are experiential and that, that create a visual um, that they can practice it in the moment in a safe environment, like I said, working it through with horses is a lot safer than working it through with each other. Um, and so to start with that kind of safer place, it seems to help people then start then um, moving it into the, the people world <clears throat> after they've worked it through with the animal world, especially the horse world. So I, those are just some things that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we're almost out of time here, but I guess I believe what you're saying so much that experiencing isn't enough. Um, why do you think it's such a pervading myth that if I knew better, I would do better? Like I need to this, go to this conference so I can get the good idea or I, I need to read this book so I can learn what to do when really that's like the beginning of it. That's not the whole process itself. Why, why do you think, I mean, even myself, I'm tempted to think, oh yeah, I read that book. I know how to do it. Like I, I know it needs to be done, but it's nothing like having done it enough times to like build the, <laughs> build the muscle memory for it. You know, why do you think it's so tempting to think, if I knew what to do, that would be good enough to get me to do it. Well, I mean, first you have the power of habit. And that, of course, is always a, a – we revert back to what we're familiar with and what we're used to. Um, so I think it is a, a conscious, ongoing, both practice and experience. And I think the other thing, like what we do with um, our approaches, is people really feel it. They feel it all in their bodies. It's not just a cognitive, this is what I think. You, you really have to feel the change and feel the difference. Um, just as a quick example, uh, I had some parents come out and, and they were struggling with their child and the horse has ended up representing their child and <clears throat> they were trying to get the horse to move just like they're trying to get their child to get up out of bed and go to school and the child is very um, behavioral, will, will, you know, not do it or will literally hit things, throw things, fight them. Um, so they were really trying to figure out how can they motivate their child and be stronger parents in, in having a better relationship with their, their child. Um, <clears throat> and so the horse would not move. They were trying everything and the horse would not take a step. And finally, the mom picked up this little stick. I mean, it, I don't even know if it was as long as your hand, this okay. little tiny, thin stick. And as soon as she had this stick in her hand, next thing you know, that horse started moving. <clears throat> and uh, that represented their child. And it was kind of like, I don't even know if the horse could even see the stick kind of thing. Yeah. But what really changed, uh, you know, the horse, was, the horse that was their child was standing there now is doing what they're asking the child to do. Uh, what changed? Well, her attitude changed. Something in her changed. Her confidence, her by holding that stick, 
she felt different. She wasn't just um, a victim to the circumstance anymore right. of the horse that Something won't obey. changed within her. And you could talk all day long in an office setting about, you know, be more assertive, be consistent, you know, you did all the typical things about parenting, which could be related to managing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she had to feel something different within herself. And so, you know, it was, we even said, well, feel free to take this little stick home with you if you'd like. <laughs> Get yourself to remember and remind yourself of what that felt like to be in that new place that you're not normally in. Um, and even having that physical symbol, that stick for her was something as a reminder of need, that change she can get herself into within herself. So, uh, you know, it's yeah. one of the ways that I think we can impact change is that truly feeling the difference. Yeah, I think what you're talking about for me is kind of exciting. I feel like the people who can take the time, because our society doesn't have very precise language for what you're talking about. You know, it's not like this generally accepted thing. Um, but I feel like the people who are willing to go exploring and willing to like um, go in and kind of do this, like learning by doing these kind of things, they have a bit of an unfair advantage of those people who just want to sit and talk or those people who want to deal with it only cognitively, right? There's by going out and doing it, then they get this feeling about it, which, you know, could be fuzzy, which not everybody's going to understand, but that becomes, you know, if your organization can do a bunch of that, you've got an advantage over the other organizations who aren't willing to go out on a bit of faith and go learn by doing and, you know, actually go have experiences. Right. 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 Interesting. Well, listen, um, I know in the last episode we talked about if people are interested in either, um, you know, equine therapy as a service or becoming certified, coming to your website is probably the best place, uh, egala.org, E-A-G-A-L-A.org. Um, uh, before we before we close off here, um, what do you think is, what would you want to close on? Or what do you think is the most fun thing or the most interesting thing about this work you've been doing for almost 20 years now? Oh, gosh, the most fun thing, one as we've continued to learn, both as a business and in our model, I, I first of all, I love the fact that we keep learning and that there's more to learn and we keep improving ourselves. Um, I'm, I guess I'm just really passionate to always find out how can we get better? How can we um, train better? How can we be a better business? How can uh, we help our clients um, have opportunities to improve their lives in a, in a better way? So that part for me has been really fun. I enjoy that. Um, I'm passionate about what we do and and how it can help and impact change. And I think that in the times of businesses where it's just it's a roller coaster ride of up and down and and times that are really hard and that passion, I think, and belief in what we're doing is what keeps things going and that there's so many of us now involved. It's not just me alone. It's we have this amazing international network of people who, who are practicing a model that they believe in and that has crossed cultural boundaries and crossed languages. Um, and so it's just been really satisfying and to be a part of something that I believe in and feel proud to be a part of. So I think those are some of the things that I, I guess, find extra satisfying. Um, yeah. No, that's exciting. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of us that wish our organization could spread to 50 different countries. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a really neat journey. And like I said, it's been really neat to see how this model has fit for just all these different people in different parts of the world with different languages and and how they're helping people. I get to hear stories every day about how they're helping people through it. So 
that part is extremely rewarding. And um, I'm very grateful to get to be spending my life doing something like that. That's helping people. Um, yeah. It's making the world better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And thank you for helping us get the word out about it, because it is something unique and something different. And, and like I said, something I feel is it can be really helpful to help people in different ways in their lives um, from from organizational groups to um, people that have been abused or the abusers as well and um, family relationships, all sorts of things. So it's been um Thank you for helping us get the word out about Egala. That's great. Well, thanks so much for making time for us. And uh, I think we'll end it there. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Jess. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.